All right, so this morning I'm really excited to uh, put a bow on this series called Canyons to wrap it up. Last week was awesome. If you weren't here, you need to go online and listen. Chuck McCoskey, our recovery ministry director, and some of his friends shared some awesome stuff about shame and about loneliness and just about this idea of this journey of recovery. And I hope that you caught during that that you are on recovery if you are a follower of Jesus. It doesn't matter if you've had an issue with um, a, a substance, a, 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 of alcohol, of drugs, or something like that. No matter what, we as followers of Jesus, part of being a follower of Jesus is this acknowledgement of sin and brokenness in your life. And this idea that we need this higher power, we need the Savior, we need Jesus. And one of the things I love most about our friends from recovery is their honesty and their vulnerability. And I hope it's something that we can learn from even more so. And in this series, if you haven't been here with us, we've been talking about how there are these experiences and these emotions in life that feel like you are in the midst of a large canyon. They can feel overwhelming. They can feel dark. And yet they're a reality for every single one of us. They're things like betrayal, things like fear and anxiety, things like shame and loneliness. And this morning, what we're going to be talking about is disappointment and anger. Disappointment and anger is something that probably most of us experience maybe on a daily basis. And I want to talk about the connection between the two. Now, in this series, we've primarily been looking at uh, David. David, this guy who uh, was this lowly shepherd boy who eventually would ascend the throne to be the king of Israel, of God's people. He was the guy who defeated the giant Goliath. And he's a man who has a bit of a wonky story. I mean, the guy quite literally stole another guy's wife, got her pregnant, and then made sure that he would be murdered. This is a guy who we can really relate to and identify with because he's got some pieces in his life that aren't perfect. And how about y'all, but I'm not perfect. Even though I might look at whether, you know, when I'm standing up here, what I've realized is that it looks like I'm about 20 pounds trimmer than I am. So um, I'm actually, you know, uh, you know, a beefy 150 um, on a good day. And I am actually not 6'2", I'm actually only... Um, But anyways, one of the things I love about David is his honesty, that when we read some of his psalms, which is some things we've been looking into, we've recognized the honest rawness. I, I, I sometimes wonder, would David write what he wrote in, in, in these psalms and these songs if he knew that like all of us would basically be opening up his journal and reading it for thousands of years later? So get this one. This one uh, comes from Psalm uh, chapter 3. And it's not going to be on the screen, so just listen to this. It just says, Lord, how many are my foes? Many rise against me. Many are saying to me, God will not deliver me. But you, Lord, are the shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head up. I will call out to the Lord, and he will answer me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though 10,000 assail me on every side. Now, that's great, right? I mean, I can get behind that. Like, these are these prayers where I think when we approach prayer, sometimes we want to do it like this, right? We want to write the positive spin. Lord, even though all this bad is happening, you sustain me. 
Then it takes a little bit of a weird turn. And then he says, arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessings be on your people. Now that psalm he wrote during the midst of a time in his life where he experienced both betrayal and disappointment. He had a son named Absalom who uh, scripture tells us was very charismatic, very good looking. He um, was someone who people just generally were drawn to. And through a weird series event, again, you need to read the Bible because we think that it's just full of perfect people and it's not. So here's basically how this little story goes. David, because he has multiple marriages, not the best thing in the world, uh, some of them going on at the same time. Uh, David has a daughter who is raped by one of his stepsons. Again, you know, very wholesome, family-oriented type thing. And then one of his sons then murders, years later, this stepson who committed the rape to avenge him. Now, this creates a weird, and you all are sitting here like, man, I thought my family was messed up. So then there becomes this strain between David and his son Absalom. Now, I'm sure David long ago would have never thought that he would have some weirdness in his family like that. I'm sure there had to be a level of disappointment. This wasn't what I was expecting. This isn't what I necessarily signed up for. Yet we recognize that some of his disappointment, some of the wonkiness comes from his own sin. But so eventually what happens is Absalom, his son, creates this uprising. You can read about it in uh, 2 Samuel chapter uh, 15 through 19. You should check it out sometime. And quite literally what ends up happening is there is this coup that happens and David has to escape in the night. And eventually his son, uh, he, he regains his throne, but his son has murdered. And there's just so many things that happen because he's disappointed. And through some of the disappointment then becomes anger. And sometimes through anger, we do things and things happen that we wish wouldn't happen. This morning I want to talk about some of this connection between anger and disappointment. In Psalm 13, we read David write, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Anyone ever prayed a prayer like that? I, I feel like we maybe not say, we don't say the words, how long, O oh Lord, or will you forever forget me? But we felt it before. Even if you have a strong relationship with God, even if you've been following the ways of Jesus for years, disappointment is inevitable. Disappointment in people, disappointment in uh, things, disappointment even in God. And disappointment comes in many different levels, right? I mean, there is maybe one of the worst disappointments of all time. It happens oftentimes this time of year where there's lots of candy going around and you open a two-pack of Starburst hoping that it's going to be red and pink and instead you get snake eyes, you get yellow, double yellow. And you look to the heavens and say, God, why have you forsaken me? Or maybe it's been a little bit more serious. Maybe it's been that job that you desperately needed passed you over. Maybe that person who you thought was going to be the one turned out they weren't. 
Maybe the child that you thought was heading on the right path finally took a wrong turn. Maybe you prayed for something and God didn't answer it in the way that you were hoping. Disappointment is inevitable. Disappointment can oftentimes lead to different responses, one of which is anger, and we're going to talk more about anger in a minute. But disappointment, think about this. Disappointment, it can create this disillusion in our mind that makes us feel like nobody is with us and nobody is for us. It creates this false narrative inside our minds. Many of us have experienced this. It oftentimes can, can, can induce uh, anxious thoughts and panic inside of us because something didn't go the way that we were hoping, the way that we were wanting, the way that we felt like we were owed. And we begin to let every good thing that has happened in our life just fall away. And we begin to construct this thing in our mind. Maybe it's with a person, maybe it's with God, that maybe none of that was real. Maybe all of it doesn't really matter because this one thing happened. I know that happens in my life. There have been jobs that I thought I was going to get. There was the person that I thought could be the one. There were different experiences, different moments that I thought could happen and they didn't come through. And it's crazy how quickly my mind could go to places saying, Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Will it be forever? Or even saying, God, are you even there? Now let me put your minds at ease this morning and let you know that God is not afraid of your disappointment. And he's not afraid of how you may respond to the disappointment. In Psalm 34, David wrote this. He said, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. I believe that. I believe that even in the midst of our feelings of why is life the way it is, which we're going to talk about in a minute, maybe why sometimes these things go this way, God's not afraid of those. In fact, God sits in our brokenness. God sits in the middle of our messes, oftentimes that we've created. And even though it's not fair at moments for us to say, God, why did you do this? Because it all usually wasn't him. Like a loving father, he just takes it. I've, I've learned more and more what I think God probably experiences from us sometimes in the midst of our frustrations uh, because I have a three-year-old now. And I don't know if anyone else has ever experienced this, if you have a toddler or have had a toddler before, but they get into this broken record thing. I was really hoping that children would come with like a factory reset button that... Uh, Sometimes when they would get stuck on something, you could just press this button. Or when you would go to sleep, maybe they would wake up the next morning and, and everything, we'd start with a blank slate. And I've realized that is not true at all. I can remember one of the first times I experienced this. My son Gideon uh, was not listening at bedtime. The rule was, buddy, if you want to read books, you have got to listen. You have to do X, Y, and Z. And he just royally blew it. Didn't do it at all. And so... Like a, like a dad should. I shut it down. We're going to bed. For hours. I want to read books. I want to read books. Eventually, finally, it gets slower. I want to read books. I want to read. It's done. And I think I have, I've made it through this battle. 5.30 a.m. Daddy! I want to read books. Daddy, where are you? 
You know, I wonder sometimes if some of our prayers, some of our honest venting of disappointment to God sounds a lot like a toddler. We're like a broken record. We ask for these things. And may I throw at us for a moment that maybe some of our disappointment is a direct result of our own brokenness and sin. That there have been moments where our Father has gently told us, hey, here's how I want you to act. Here's what I want you to do. And this will happen. And yet we get frustrated when we break our promise. And there are consequences. Or there are moments where we think these things up in our minds. My son Gideon is also doing this thing oftentimes where I think he's figured out this idea of maybe I can plant an idea in my parents' mind. And so there's even been moments now I, I, I respect the game out of this kid a lot because he'll wake up some mornings and say, Daddy, I'm so excited we go into McDonald's today. There's been no conversation about that, by the way. But he's shooting his shot. He's like, maybe if I throw it in there, Dad will jump on board of the plan. And we do that in our own lives too, right? Oftentimes, let's be real, most of us don't really sit back with a blank slate and just say, God, whatever your plan is for my life, I want it. No, most of us, if we're being real, we start with like, God, don't you think it would be so great if I got this job where I made $150,000 plus benefits, full retirement, and maybe they gave me free housing. Lord, would this not be a great will of yours? Amen. And then when God doesn't come through, he doesn't jump on board of our plans, we get disappointed. And yet oftentimes our disappointment is placed in the fact that we feel like God didn't come through on promises by the way that God never made to us. There's so many times where we make promises to ourselves that we're thinking God should just stamp his approval upon. Mind you, they're oftentimes not promises that we find in scripture at all. In fact, typically what we take is we take what we see as good in our culture and we say, God, would you make this the reality of my life? Would you make me healthy, wealthy, and wise? Yet truth be told, the great thing that we don't want to talk about is when we look at the life and the teaching of Jesus, he doesn't promise any of those things. He promises that we'll be rich in the standpoint that we'll have treasure in heaven. He promises that if we follow his ways, we can experience wisdom. And he promises that he will be with us. But he doesn't promise us this easy, cushy life. And so, may I ask my brothers and sisters, as I'm trying to do this as well, that we begin to reframe our ideas and our thoughts about what we are owed and what we deserve and don't deserve. Now, don't hear me in this place that God doesn't care about us, that he won't take care of us, that there's not good things that he wants for us, but we need to stop assuming that we are going to get everything that we want. Because I think what can happen at moments is we look like a bratty kid at Christmas who opens their gifts, and there are great gifts, but the one gift that we really wanted isn't there. In everything good, feels like it's just gone. Now, disappointment, I believe, not handled in a healthy way can become the gateway to disconnection to God. 
That if we don't handle our disappointment in a healthy manner, what ends up happening is it opens this floodgate to all sorts of emotions and sin that will become a place of disconnection from God. Because at the core of things, God's hope, his desire, the whole point of Jesus coming is that we would be reunited in perfect, loving relationship with our God. Just like at the very beginning where the people, where Adam and Eve, they dwelled with God. There was no sin. There was no separation. And it was just so good. That's the goal. And you see, disappointment, though, oftentimes leads to different responses. Sometimes it's a place of fear. Sometimes it's a place of loneliness. We withdraw. But oftentimes, in my opinion, more often than not, at least in my own life, and I feel like oftentimes in our culture, it's anger. Well, if this isn't going to happen, forget you. If you have disappointed me, I'm writing you off. I'm done with you. Sometimes that's a romantic relationship. Sometimes that's children with parents. Sometimes it's parents with children. Sometimes it's a coworker, a friend. And sometimes it's even God. Can I go somewhere for a second that I think is interesting? been thinking a lot about this over the last year or so. I hear people use phrases oftentimes, I couldn't believe in a God, fill in the blank. A God who would let this happen, which mind you, we place the blame on God for things that he wasn't doing. Or I can't believe in a God who would allow this person to be elected. I couldn't believe in a God who their followers do this, which again, there's a lot of wonkiness that us as humans do that we place upon God. Can I tell you something? Should the actions of God or the inactions of God be what defines whether he is real, whether he is holy, whether he is good? If we have a life-changing experience with God, where at least this is my own experience, where I have experienced something, this higher power that I believe is Jesus Christ himself, and I can't explain that away. It doesn't matter what I personally want, desire, and think. That doesn't change that God is God, that Jesus is real, and I am called to follow him and to align my will and my way with his. You see, we live in a culture and a time where we are all about being empowered as an individual to make decisions, to do what we want. You do you. And so it's become this thing where we feel like following Jesus is like our Chipotle order. Yes, I do want this rice. I don't want that rice. Ooh, could you pick out the cilantro? Oh, man. Hey, I'm sorry. I found some onion up in this. Which onion is disgusting? I don't know why uh, people like raw onion, but that's a different story. But we feel as if we can just set aside things when we find something that doesn't align with our narrative with our hopes and our desires. If we have begun to follow a God in which when we find something about God that we're uncomfortable with, we decide to set aside the burrito of God, maybe we weren't following the real God to begin. Maybe our faith was really in a God who is in our image rather than in his own image. And I believe when we start following God for what we really find in Scripture for the promises that he actually gives us, we run into a place where we're less likely to get disappointed 
and we're less likely to begin to respond with anger and other different things. Now let's talk about anger for a second. Anger is an emotion, it's not an action. Anger is an emotion, it's not an action. Yes, when we get angry, we do things sometimes, but anger is an emotion inside of us. So it's not just something that you can stop doing. It's something that must be managed, it must be controlled. We must work towards it, and we must seek the Holy Spirit to help us with it. Now, Scripture has a lot to say about anger. In fact, it says, uh, it talks about anger, wrath, and other things of that nature about 400 times throughout Scripture. One of them we find in the book of Proverbs, a book of wisdom in the Old Testament. It says, an angry person stirs up conflict, and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. In the book of James, a, a, a letter in the, Old, in the New Testament, we find James, the brother of Jesus, gives us this nugget of wisdom. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now let's, let's talk a little bit about anger, what we found there. James brings up a great point. He says, uh, anger that is human anger. Now, let's talk about the difference between human anger and uh, anger from God. Anger from God is when we see injustice in our world, when we see something that is wrong, that is harming those who God created in his image, his sons and his daughters. Anger is an okay response. And again, we're going to talk in a minute about what Jesus had to say about anger, because I think that's important as Jesus' followers. But anger, and not following through on our anger, isn't just, hey, I didn't murder someone today, so good job me, I managed my anger. Anger is our thoughts, and our thought life. How about y'all? Our minds are crazy. I mean, seriously, I don't know about you, but if there could be like a machine that would like project what our thought are, I want to make sure we destroy that because I don't want you to know my thoughts. Y'all would be like, we are firing you right now. Although you'd have some weird stuff too, so let's just be real. But when we get angry, our mind goes to weird places. You know, before having kids, I thought I was a calm, patient person. Wow, is that not true? Now, by no means am I making any excuses uh, for anyone who would ever harm a child, but let's be honest, any one of us who have had a child, a baby in the middle of the night who won't stop crying and you don't know what to do and you are sleep deprived, you get to a place where you recognize how people could make a terrible mistake. Again, not saying it's okay, but we recognize how our mind goes to weird places. I'm just going to be real. I'm among friends. I have told my eight-month-old Silas to his face at times, like, you are the worst. I'm just going to be honest, okay? I'm among friends. And some of you have probably said things just like that are worse. There are moments where our mind just gets to a place where you're like, why can you go away? Anger is something we have to figure out. In, in Proverbs, when it talks about this idea, too, that a hot-tempered person commits many sins, it's because anger oftentimes leads both to our inner and our outer thoughts. Because when we get angry, we say things we can't take back, right? We've all had those moments where you say the harsh word, the dig to maybe a spouse or a family member or a coworker, and instantaneously you're like, oh gosh, this was bad. 
It's like, uh, I believe it's in the Revolutionary War, they talk about how one of the very first battles was, you know, the Redcoats and the militia are standing there and one person accidentally fires first and then it just starts a war. I mean, that's what happens in arguments sometimes, right? Like you're just staring at each other and you're trying to be polite and then one person says the harsh word and it is on. And yet we realize that typically most of those conversations are not edifying to our relationships. They're not honoring God. We're typically trying to take digs and trying to destroy people created in the image of God. We're not seeking real reconciliation. We're seeking to feel superior and to feel right. So anger is something that we either learn to control or it will control us. You either learn to control your anger or your anger will control you. And again... We're going to talk about what Jesus has to say about anger because some of us are like, I'm not an angry person, okay? I've never punched a hole in a wall. I've never punched anybody. Some of you might even be like, I'm a pacifist. I don't like guns. I guarantee you are angry too. You experience anger. Now, this is what Jesus has to say in uh, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus begins, we're going, to, we're going to read this and we're going to talk about it as we go, okay? So he says this, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, which basically that's code word for Jesus saying, listen, you heard what someone used to say. I'm about to flip it upside down a little bit. Okay. He says, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be judgment, uh, subject to judgment. Now, again, this is Jesus just destroying this idea of like, wow, congratulations. You made it through a day without murdering someone. You are not a sociopath. Congratulations. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Now, that feels fair, right? Like, you know, we're all standing in the crowd. This is at the Sermon on the Mount. There's these people in Galilee. They're, they're probably sitting there listening like, you know, like that feels like a normal step of like, maybe we shouldn't be angry. Yes, there could be some sort of judgment. But he goes farther. He says, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which is basically like an ancient swear word. So sorry, guys, pardon my Greek. Uh, is answerable to the courts. And anyone who says, you fool, doesn't say, hey, you'll be in danger of a slap on the wrist. He says, you'll be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, I don't know about you, that feels like one of those, like where maybe you've been at like a sleepover when you were a kid and everyone's thinking about like, hey, maybe we should go TP someone's house. And then someone's like, let's burn down our math teacher's house. And everyone looks like, whoa, maybe you are that person. But it feels like, whoa, that, that's this craziness. I have to imagine that's how these people felt when they heard this. But I think what Jesus is trying to tell us, what he was trying to tell them, is that anger is serious business. That how we treat others matters because they're created in the image of God. But also anger is like, uh, it, it's sort of like, have you ever tried to wrestle a pig? I have once. My brother showed pigs in 4-H before. I don't know if you realize this. You know, it's an old saying that, you know, don't wrestle with a pig because you're going to get dirty or whatever. Uh, it's true. And anger is one of those things that when we don't take care of it, when we don't seek to resolve it, it's something that begins to harm us oftentimes even more so than it harms the person our anger is directed towards at. Because the truth is, anger like that becomes sinful. And sinfulness leads to this place where we begin to build this wall, this barrier between ourselves and God. 
And God doesn't sit there and say, that's right. I want you to be far away from me. He says, my child, why are you doing this? Let me help you take down this wall. Anger is so serious that Jesus doesn't want to mince his word. Now, granted, some scholars would would make the argument that possibly what they're talking about here isn't quite literally the physical long-term hell, but it may have been a place at that time that was a garbage dump and there's bad things. Regardless, although I buy into the idea that he's talking the serious, hey, eternal thing, either way, what he's basically saying is, listen, this is not going to lead to a good place for you. And he goes farther and he says this, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to them. Then come offer your gift. Now let's think about this for a second. Sometimes it's difficult if we don't read scripture with a little bit of background and context, we miss some of just the importance of how crazy some of the things that we hear are. Now, they are in Galilee. Now, anyone who's listening would know that Jesus was talking about the one altar that is in the temple in Jerusalem. So what would happen is typically once a year, you'd make your pilgrimage to uh, uh, Jerusalem. And by the way, you would take your offering. Now, today, our offerings typically are like, okay, let me Venmo you something. Let me go ahead and uh, just do a you know, quick little text to give. Or maybe we are just carrying a uh, little bit of money on us. But in Jesus' time, it was a primarily agricultural place. So more often than not, you're probably grabbing Babe the pig or uh, Billy the goat, and you're carrying him. Mind you, you're carrying them about 80 miles if you're where Jesus is doing the Sermon on the Mount at this time. So, you know, just a casual little walk, afternoon stroll. And so he says this, he's so serious about this idea of dealing with our anger, especially directed towards someone else, that he says this, all right, you get there, you wait in line, you have your thing, you see the high priest, you're about to go and ask him to, uh, you know, kill your animal, sorry, animal lovers, Uh, the blood's going to be shed for the forgiveness of your sins, bada bing, bada boom, you get to go back and keep on doing your thing. He says this, you've made your 80 mile journey, you've carried your, your sacrifice, Here's what I want you to do. You get there, you remember, oh my goodness, I have this dispute with my brother. Him and I were mad at each other for something uh, over a landline. So Jesus is saying, what I want you to do is I want you to just go ahead, leave your sacrifice there, and I want you to go back the 80 miles, and I want you to be reconciled to your brother. Now again, when we hear this, we have been trained... As Americans, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but to be efficient, to be logical. You know, we are children, uh, our founding fathers are children of the Enlightenment. So to us, when we read that, it's like, that is so stupid. Why would you do that? You're already there. Just make your sacrifice and then go home and do it. What Jesus is trying to make clear is this, is that when we have anger that is unresolved, it's serious business. That if we don't take care of some of that, number one, we could be heading towards an eternal separation from the God of all the universe, who deeply and desperately loves us. But he's also saying, listen, your sacrifices are great, but one of the greatest things you could do is go be reconciled to my other child, whom there are things. Now, here's the thing. Reconciliation is a, is a difficult thing. Sometimes a reconciliation is not going to be a full, we're besties again. You know, if someone's been abusive or toxic, it's okay to separate things. 
But I think what God is basically trying to say here, what Jesus is teaching us, is stop making little excuses just to be flaky and let this grow up in your heart. Because anger is, again, it's like conflict. Conflict is like this bomb that sometimes we try to bury and we hope if we just forget about it and we just don't deal with it, maybe it will never go off. And yet inevitably, it's going to go off. If you're married, you know this. There's the argument that you just think, you know what, it's not worth having this conversation. And yet it feels like once a month, it's the ongoing conversation that comes back over and over. And you get mad and you argue and then you try to be awkwardly like don't make eye contact in the kitchen for a while. And hopefully you wake up the next day and things are normal. And you think, sweet, we've made it past there. And yet again and again and again, it keeps coming up. We have to learn to deal with our anger. Because the issue becomes is that anger can keep us from abiding. Abiding is this word that means to just sort of remain within. And Jesus in the, in the Gospel of John taught us that, that we should remain in the Father, in His presence, in His love. If we have unresolved anger, it's going to keep us from being able to be connected and abiding within the Father. So this morning, I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're experiencing disappointment. Maybe there's some built-up anger. But let me give you a few tips. You can write these down. Maybe they're helpful for you. On ways that maybe you should respond when there's disappointment and you're feeling anger inside your life. Maybe before you decide to say a word to someone else, before you post on Facebook, intent anyone? Maybe we breathe and we talk to God. And we don't do like a cute prayer like, oh Lord my God, I am an awesome wonder. There's this little thing that is bothering me. Please help. I I think what God wants to hear from us is, oh Lord, how long? What is going on? I think he wants to hear the emotions because he's not afraid of them. He wants our honesty. You know, it blows my mind, at least in my own life, how not honest I am with God when he knows every single thought of my heart and my mind. It's like, God, I don't want you to know about this weird thing where, you know, I get angry with people or I deal with lust. It's like, dude, listen, I know, and it's messed up, but I got you, and I love you. And maybe we need to acknowledge what might have caused this. Maybe before we uh, just let anger roll out of us, maybe we have to take a step back and recognize our place in the disappointment, in the tension, in the anger. I don't know about you, but I am really great at reframing a situation to make myself look good. To go from being the one who did something bad and make it look like it was someone else. And yet that does no good. That's not God honoring. I think we have to remember the bigger picture. Remember the bigger picture in life. That you know what? It's not worth a five-second disappointment to rob us from the joy and the relationship with God for the rest of the day or even for eternity. And finally, I think we have to remember it's not the end of the story. If you're disappointed and you just feel like you have been left in that canyon and you are all alone, would you know that it's not the end of the story? That rescue is coming. That you don't have to stay broken. 
You don't have to stay dirty. That Jesus is there with you and he's ready to guide you out whenever you're willing just to place it in his hands. This morning we are going to close by singing a song and having the opportunity to take communion. We chose to do this not just because it's the last Sunday of the month, because communion, I think, is one of the most beautiful things that we as followers of Jesus have the opportunity to do. Communion forces us to be reminded of the faithfulness of God. It forces us that even if our mind has been warped and our narrative and our thoughts upon God have placed us where we feel like God is against us or we are just angry with Him or angry with others, it forces us to stop thinking about how maybe we can solve something. It forces us to stop uh, doing anything other than just being reminded of His goodness, even though we are not good. And it gives us the opportunity to physically, tangibly do something. To be reminded that his body was broken for us and that he sustains us. That he is the bread of life. And that his blood was shed for us. And that the sin in our life is not something that we have to uh, try to take care of ourselves, But we just have to humbly bring it before the Lord and he will forgive. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. And while we sing, we invite you to come to the table. doesn't matter if you call South Creek your church home. We invite all who call Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior or who want to, to come and to receive the elements. And when you come, you're going to find the juice is on the top and the bread is on the bottom. But would you bow your heads and take just a moment. Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote that before we come to the table and we take the elements, we should prepare our hearts to take this moment to maybe lay before God a disappointment, any built-up anger, or any other sin or brokenness. God, we thank you for the fact that you are not afraid of our deepest, darkest emotions, desires. God, that when you see your children dirty, lost, you invite us in. You call your household to throw a party for us. And you sit us at your table. God, we thank you for the opportunity to remember that you loved us so much that you would send your son Jesus into this world for us. Not because we are good, but because you are good. Not because we are faithful, because you are faithful. So God, this morning, would this be a moment for us to come before your throne, to seek forgiveness, and to be filled up with your love. God, thank you for calling us sons and calling us daughters. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You're invited to the table.